Welcome to Active Activism, part of the Femme On Collective. On this show, my guests share the causes important to them, how they became involved, and why we should be active in our activism. Meow, everyone. Thank you for joining us for Active Activism. Today's guest is a highly recommended referral from one of my Femme On co-hosts, Allison Shelton. Sarah Jekyll is the co-founder of an organization called Democracy. And according to Allison, you are a dynamo. Welcome. Please introduce yourself and tell us a bit about Democracy. You know, I love introductions like that. Highly recommended Dynamo. I mean, you can't live up to it, but you just love it. Yes, <laughs> you can live up to it. I've seen some you know, of the things that you do. So I'm so excited to be here. I have to tell you, um, the name of your podcast is Active Activism. And I can think of no better podcast title for the world we find ourselves in right now. So a brief background about me. I was a social worker who, who worked with our unhoused community members dealing with mental illness, thought that would be my career and my life. Hit by a car in 2013, went down for a year. Just as I was getting better, got hit with an autoimmune disease called psoriatic arthritis, which is actually a fairly horrific disease that causes a lot of pain and fatigue. The doctor said, I'm so sorry, Sarah, it's unfair, but you will live on a couch and you go on disability and that's your life. So I did. I lived on a couch with my puppy dog, Max, from 2014 until a certain election, Tanya, and this, I may be the first one to tell you about it, but there was an election in 2016. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I, I feel like yeah, I've heard yeah, of know, that. I feel like it might have come up once or twice. So I that happened. That happened. Right. And I said, oh, my gosh, I have to get up. Right. I have to get up. I understand they're coming for the people I love. They're coming for the country I love. I have to get up. But it was, a, you know, it was easier said than done. It was easier said than done because you desperately want to, but your body's holding you back. So I worked at it. And part of where democracy came from was this journey where I said, there's a conscious part of me that very much wants to get up. And then there's this unconscious part of me that's holding me back, that floods me with distress or says you're too tired. And so being stubborn, I started researching the brain. I mean, I'm a social mm. worker background. That's my background. And I started researching the brain and what was going on. And I found out there was this fascinating ancient limbic system at play, which is our threat base. I'm sure you've heard of fight flight, all of that. That's happening off screen in limbic. And it's different than our prefrontal cortex. And you're like, why is she talking science and an activism? And it was because I used those skills, which turns out to be a different language. It's a language of self-compassion. It's a language of grounding. For those of us who do yoga, we're like, why is this settling us? Even as we're getting stronger, and it's because it's communicating with your limbic system, right? It's a different language. And I used it to get up and I used it to throw myself at activism. And in fact, I threw myself at it so very hard that I became a national outreach director for voter registration and the get out the vote director for the California National Organization for Women. Yes. And then I would fall over because <laughs> I would fall over. But as I looked around, Tanya, and I love the name Femme On, right? I was looking around. Did you have you noticed, Tanya, that 99% of the activist movement are women? I don't know the exact percentage, but I've noticed that a great deal of it is. A great deal. A Who great around the world, right? Great deal. Women run the world. So where were our women candidates? 
if 99% of all the spaces I was in, that I was speaking to, that I was leading, it was filled with extraordinary, incredible women, why were we seeing such stubborn statistics? So our women, 2018, historic, historic year, the year of the woman. In, our, in my very own California, women candidates were outnumbered by men by a four to one margin. 2020, again, historic year of the woman. Women candidates for Congress, less than 30% of our candidates for Congress were women. 2022, 27% of our primary candidates for House, Senate, Governor, women. Women of color make up 7% of our nationwide elected officials. Mm. Why? This was really bugging me. This was really bugging me. And the more I looked into it, the more I found this fascinating inflection point in high school, which was the last time boys and girls think they can run for office equally. Mm. The last time. And as I was looking at it, you start to see it, Tanya, reflected across industries, right? So now you're interested and you're digging in. And you see, I don't know if you've heard the really fun statistic that applying for a promotion, men tend to apply for a promotion if they meet 50%. I have heard that. You have heard that? And then you know, what do typically women apply at? Only if they are completely qualified for 100%, it. 100%, <laughs> right? 100%. And I'm like, this is not the world I'm living in. I'm living in dynamic, extraordinary, ambitious, incredible women. Why am I seeing over and over us discounting ourselves? Why are we counting ourselves out? And I thought, you know what? I have researched this. This is the inflection moment I had on the couch. The difference between the conscious part of our brain and the unconscious part of our brain. So consciously, the prefrontal cortex, the reason women are all in for ambition. They're like, bring it on. I love it unconsciously we are swimming in legacy stories mm. legacy stories that create this critical voice in our brain and the critical voice says you're not ready you're an imposter no one's going to listen to you they're legacy stories men have it too men have a critical voice but they're not dealing with legacy stories they're dealing with the basic way the brain is set up women are swimming in you should be small you should be pretty, you should be quiet, you should be nice. And our legacy stories include systemic racism, homophobia, transphobia, all these stories, right? It's the intersectional lens for looking at women. And I was like, this is exactly what I was studying on the couch when I was like, I'm going to get up, God damn it. You are not going to keep me here. And it turns out there's a different language for those legacy stories. We're so hard on ourselves because we think we should just shove ourselves through it. We should be strong enough. Honey, part of our brain is fighting us, right? It's just trying to keep us safe. It's the evolutionary part of our brain that's sensing threats and trying to keep us safe. But what women sense as threats is legacy threats that we're swimming in misogyny patriarchy, racism, right? And we're fighting this thing that's just outside of our brain, this little critical voice that says, I don't know, maybe wait. And Tanya, I don't know if you've ever said to yourself when you're worrying and you don't want to be worrying, have you ever said to yourself, stop worrying? I have tried. You've tried, 
right? Because it doesn't work because we're using a conscious skill to deal with something unconscious. And I was like, wait a minute, because I have a master's in public policy and I have a master's in social work. And I was like, that's the Venn diagram. Because if we reach our young women with the skills to bring their full brain into allyship, the conscious part, we make the amazing transformational leaders, we give them the networking and the civic engagement and the path forward and the public speaking, all of that that they need. But we combine it with the skills for those legacy voices. So our girls in democracy learn an inner best friend, right? Because we talk to ourselves so differently than we talk to our friends. So what if you had an inner best friend who you could turn to and talk to you the way that you talk to your friends? My inner best friends, Tanya, are Barack Obama, Taylor Swift, Lizzo, and my puppy dogs, Max and Sequoia. <laughs> so the girls have their own. Right. And who is that voice that when you're about to count yourself out and say, not yet, not me, who's that voice you turn to who says, you know what? You've got this. Cleopatra. I love it. I love it. Cleopatra is the inner best friend. She's an amazing inner best friend. So Tanya, I would say to you, what would Cleopatra say? What would they're lucky to have me? And you know what? They're absolutely right. They are so lucky to have you. And that's why Cleopatra is so important because she tells the truth. She tells the truth. So our girls learn grounding, right? It's a way to hack the fight flight and bring yourself back into your body. So you ground with mother earth, who's our first feminist and has always got your back. You feel your feet on the floor. You're just hacking your fight flight. You're pulling it back into the body, but they all ground with mother earth. And you start hearing, Sarah, I'm grounding before my AP test. <laughs> Sarah, I'm grounding before I have a really difficult conversation with my dad. Sarah, my inner best friend said, I absolutely should run for office at my school. And they learn, you know, goals and values and gratitude and all the things that social workers have said for centuries help with these critical voices. And why not, Tanya, use them to help with legacy critical voices that hold us back and build it into early women's leadership training, right at that developmental phrase of high school, which is the last time, remember, before we start losing them, why not start building that in? And I could have used this. I could have used this, right? I could have used this. Like this so I was like, oh my gosh, I have an idea. <laughs> I have an idea. Coming out, of, coming out of 2020, the election of 2020, I was like, I have an idea. And the other reason I had this idea is because social justice work is hard. Social justice work is hard and it's heartbreaking. And I was, even at the same time that it's full of joy and wins, it is heartbreaking and it's hard. And I was watching my fellow women burn out who were incredible incandescent lights and it was just too hard because the way our nervous systems are built they get overwhelmed right and i would argue there are people in this country right now who are trying their very best to dysregulate us to overwhelm our nervous system yes right that's their entire game plan and it's working because we're empathetic humans so we watch the news we get flooded and i don't know if you've heard this but i started hearing i can't watch the news yeah 
about this, right? I'm, so all of because things- you have to take a break from the negative input. You have to give your system a break from all of the negativity that you're putting into your into your psyche. You said it so well. And all of these skills, the resiliency skills I'm talking about, that's what gives you a break. When you flood because you're seeing kids in cages, you there's just nothing in to respond to that. There's no there's no way to respond to that adequately. So you feel your feet on the floor you pull yourself back into your body and you figure out what you're going to do next, but you don't let them own you and you don't let them own your internal system. So all the skills that these young women are learning is because they are young social justice activists and they are living in a time when they're doing lockdown drills for school shooting, their world that they're stepping into is burning around them and they're already flooding. So if they get the skills early, to deal with burnout and deal with these very natural human evolutionary responses to being flooded, that's gonna give them the ability to stay in the marathon that is social justice work. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. It sure is. Right? I'm not saying anything you and your listeners don't know. What sometimes they don't know is it's a legitimate skill set that you can learn. But you are creating an army of powerful women with that skill set. I love it. That's the dream. That is the dream. An army of young women who flood our future with women leaders in every sector who know running for office is their birthright. I'm in awe right now. (laughs) (laughs) And the fact that you are also guilty of this because you questioned whether I wanted to have you on the show without having a conversation with you first. And I said, Allison recommended you with such gusto and I trust her. And I looked into your website. It was a no brainer. Of course, I want to have you here and you've already exceeded my expectations. You know, Tanya, I have to say you're dead on when you say you're guilty of this too. I will tell you most of the skills that I teach the young women are because of how my own brain behaves. And I watch it. I watch it count me out. I watch it say, Tanya would never want you on your show, on her show, unless she, you know, interviewed you before. And she would never just let you on. Of course, she's going to want to interview you. I, you know, when I was preparing for this podcast, I was so nervous to come on a podcast, right? Dude, it does my story deserve to be told? Am I it the does. Right? It does. And the people that you are helping deserve to have this amplified. And all of those, we swim in it. And I've learned to, to be compassionate and listen to my inner best friend, Barack Obama. And when I say, is this, does this deserve to be me? Am I the one who deserves to be on a podcast? You know what he says? He says, Sarah, you have hope. You have so much hope for this country and our future and what these young women will accomplish and that there's something fundamentally different out there. There is power power in this passion. You know that. There is an America that has never been, but absolutely could be. And we believe in that and we hold space for it. And we train up the young women to flood it and make it a reality. So tell me about the whole girl model. What is that? So the whole girl model, I love that you asked that question. Um, The whole girl model is kind of what I'm talking about where 
we try to bring the full brain into allyship. So the full brain into allyship with both the conscious and unconscious and also her radiant intersectional self. Our identities are superpowers. They are superpowers and they are what make us gorgeous and radiant and wonderful. We have to also hold that they are what society tries to destroy us for. Our young women of color, our young trans women, our young LGBTQ women are under attack. So at the same time that we hold, these are our superpowers. We have to give young women the skills to move through what I would just call a disastrous landscape, which is trying to silence them. So they can hold that they are radiant and they can shove aside the negative legacy critical voices that tell them otherwise because they are radiant. And we need their lived experience in every sector of leadership in this country. And I will say, especially in elected office. But we can't just ask this of our intersectional women and say, go be strong, good luck. That's not fair. It's honestly malpractice. We have to give them the skills, the social work, emotional armor to keep going when things get tough so they do not get thrown off the path by the people that are trying to push them off. You're giving me chills over here. <laughs> <laughs> I get so passionate. I'm so You passionate. do. I love it though. I love it. And it's so it's contagious and it's wonderful. And I know that Rhea is screaming along right now, especially every time you mention the patriarchy. <laughs> Can't say it enough times. So you your program specifically targets things like systemic barriers and gender equity and imposter syndrome and cyberbullying. How did you decide on those areas of focus? So you know it's interesting. I'm talking a lot about the future. I'm talking a lot about what our young women are going to accomplish. Honestly, Tanya, our young women, this generation that we're looking to, I hear a lot, you know, when the gen next generation takes over, they'll fix all the problems, right? Our young, our the next generation is in trouble. So I don't know if you saw the CDC report that came out recently that said three and five of our teen girls in the United States right now identify as persistently hopeless. Oh, I did not see that. If you think that's bad, the CDC report also said one in three of our teen girls have seriously considered suicide. I cannot say enough about the fact that we need to meet our young women where they are right now and give them the skills to keep going right now. So all the skills I'm talking about, the resiliency skills, the grounding and the inner best friend and all of that is also trying to meet our young women where they are so they can navigate this extremely difficult time. Being how how do people find out if they're eligible for this program? Is it local just to where, it's California, right? That's where you are? I or love is it international? people ask me questions. Tanya, people will be like, Sarah, you talked about democracy for 20 minutes and you never mentioned what it is. So I love <laughs> that question. So democracy is actually national. Okay. So we are online so that you can reach us from anywhere in the country. You just open your phone, you open your computer, you find us. 
We are anywhere in the country. We have a flagship program of 10 weeks of online training. We have summer intensives that you can actually apply for right now, which are our one day intensives. We have single subject workshop and we're building up an online curriculum that will be free and can meet everyone. And the other thing I want to say about our programming, and again, thank you for asking the question, what the hell do you do? I love the theory. What is it? We also pay all of our young women. Oh, wow. Ultimately, if we are going to flood our future with intersectional young women, we have to look at the fact that a lot of political pipeline and leadership pipeline opportunities have been unpaid internships. They sure are. And if leadership opportunities are unpaid internships, the same people will cycle through them forever. The ones who don't need the money. Exactly. The ones who already have opportunities and they don't have to rely on something that actually pays them. Exactly. And the same people will keep getting promoted. So democracy from the very beginning, we felt very strongly, and I know we're making a fundraising commitment, right, which is real, but we felt very strongly that we needed to pay the girls to participate. So you are not choosing between a job or a leadership program. You can come and study with us and we will pay you for your time. So How many girls do you have enrolled at any one time? That is such a great question. So it depends. We have in the flagship program, we just ran three. We're expanding it in the fall to three cohorts of 15 girls each. Our summer intensives are like 15 to 25 girls per each summer intensive. You know, our single subject workshops can open to like 100 because it's not the same intensive. And then the online workshop can reach all 8 million high school girls because, Tanya, there are 8 million high school girls and I want them all. I want them all to have access to these skills and I want them all to know running for office is their birthright. So we are ultimately looking to scale the program and build it to reach everybody. And our outreach, we are particularly looking to serve our historically underserved young women. So ultimately, summer intensives and stuff are open to everyone. But the way we recruit is by looking for community organizations that have been doing this work forever. Democracy is not inventing any wheels. People have been doing this work in amazing ways for generations. So we're looking to partner with these community organizations on the ground that are knocking it out of the park and saying, can we pay your students to come work with us? and learn some of these resiliency skills, civic engagement. They leave with a concrete plan of how to keep moving forward as an activist in their community, the next three steps they're gonna take based on Stacey Abrams in college, who sat down and made a form about the steps she was gonna take. And if it's good enough for Ms. Abrams, it is good enough for us. So they leave with concrete ways. And um, and we're also, we're also national because I will say in our last cohort, we had girls from Oklahoma, North Carolina, Texas, Arizona, New York, California, Illinois. And we have Oklahoma girls saying, thank God you're online because there's nothing in my area that is anything like this. And we have Chicago girls saying, thank God you're online because I'm in a bubble. And I had no idea what the girls were going through in Arizona and Texas and North Carolina until I was in this program. And we say the word sisterhood very unironically, very unironically. And these are sisters for life. I'm tired of the old boys network. I would like a democracy heroes network. So these are sisters, national sisters who have their back for life. 
So tell me how anti-racism and intersectionality inform your efforts. So they inform all the efforts. They are the lenses through which you, through which we see everything. I will say white feminism has been so toxic in this country. And I think it's really in, important as a white feminist to own the toxicity that has been a part of that movement. I think the only way forward is intersectional feminism. And it's interesting because in our application, we do not ask for GPA, we do not ask for letters of recommendation, we don't ask for transcripts, we ask you to write a couple essays, something about what brings you joy, about your identity, and then an essay on intersectional feminism. Mm. Because a lot of these girls, they're hearing it for the first time, we define what intersectional means, we use, you know, Kimberly Crenshaw's definition. And then we say, we'd like you to think about that. Because if you're coming into democracy, you're coming into an intersectional sisterhood. So we need you to understand from the very get-go of our application who we are, what we stand for, and what your sisters stand for. And that is really the filter through which we look at this. We yeah, I love that. We're nonpartisan because we're a nonprofit. We're a 501c3. And I'm honestly happy to have any girl apply. You have to understand that there are basic human rights and values, which are nonpartisan. I will die on that hill. One of them is that intersectionality is nonpartisan. Valuing all our different sisters for their radiant selves and understanding they go through different things is nonpartisan. So everybody writes about intersectional feminism, and it's the core of our curriculum not just intersectionality, not just internalized bias, not just anti-racism. These are all things we cover in our curriculum, but also how you fight it. How do you fight it? How does your inner best friend say, I refuse to accept this? How, does your, how can you ground when you are triggered? When you are triggered, it's interesting. There's a, a quote by Viktor Frankl, which I'm gonna slightly mangle. He says, in between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is choice. And in that choice is freedom. Mm. I didn't say that verbatim, but that is his comment. Here's the thing for all of our intersectional feminists. If you can create a space between the world that's trying to trigger you and your own authentic response, they no longer own you. And your authentic response might be, I'm stepping the hell out of this space. This is toxic as hell. Your authentic response might be, you know what? I'm going to step into leadership in this space. But it's yours. It is your response. That is the space of choice. And that is freedom, not only for all of our women, but for our country. If we can truly let our women step into that space of choice and freedom, that's an America we've never seen. So what are some of your proudest moments so far? Oh my gosh. So I think some of my proudest moments are when girls come to me and say, I'm so proud of myself because I did something that I didn't think was possible because I used a resiliency skill. So I wanna give a, a quick, a proud moment that's more specific. We have a local action workshop. So in local actual workshop, you learn all about local government. You learn how many people voted in your last mayoral election, which is very astonishing. The type of people that typically show up to local government. 
But you also, as a sisterhood, pick up the phone and make a call to a legislator to leave a comment. Now, mm. none of these girls have done this. They don't even know this is possible. And I will tell you that generation hates picking up the phone. So we don't just say, pick up the phone and make a call. Before we pick up the phone, we ground. We ground our feet on the floor. We say, of course you're nervous, totally human. Notice that everybody's nervous. What would your inner best friend say about your right to leave a comment and make your voice heard? And I would ask you, Tanya, what would Cleopatra say about your right for your voice to be heard? I would have to think about that, but I am going to. Okay. I am going to think about that. And And I'm going to write it down. (laughs) And they share and they write it down and they take pictures of it. What would they say? So then after they make the call, they make the call. We mute. We're all on the screen together. We come back and the girls are flying because one, they didn't realize that that was a possibility. And they realized that their message is going to be heard. A lot of times these people answer their own phones too. They answer their own phones. And they know the statistic that every call on average is understood by legislators to represent 500 people. So they just stood up for 500 people who might not have the time or the resources or the confidence to call and leave the comment that they just stood up for 500 people. And you know what? They encourage themselves to do it. And that is how mastery is created because that's when you'll pick up the phone again. So that was an incredibly proud moment to watch the girls come back just on fire. And we share, of course, all the things that we left comments about and all the things we fight for. And in a room to see them immediately learn a skill and tie it to a resiliency skill that means they'll do it again. That was a really proud moment. So tell us about some of the mentorship opportunities available through democracy. I love, you have such wonderful questions, Tanya. Thank you. Mentorship opportunities. So there are so many. We have a tab on our website and our website is democracy.org. So the word democracy, but democracy, and someday they will be one and the same, .org. And then if you go, there's a tab called mentor options. And Mentor Options gives you all these options that fit your time, that fit your schedule, everything from being listed in a directory to where young women can reach out to you, to being a speaker on a panel or inviting speakers to our panels, to meeting one-on-one with girls, like small groups of girls that are interested in particular subject areas. There's also mentorship opportunities to do outreach for us, find the right organizations we should be talking to our girls. There's so many opportunities we call it the sisterhood network because we want our adult women to be connected and on that website i would also say there are two other fun buttons one says apply and that takes you directly to our application which i urge every listener to immediately send to a young woman grades 9 through 12 female identifying. We have a bunch of non-binary students. If they resonate with our mission, they're welcome. And then the third button is support and donate. Because of course, we cannot do this without the listener support. I can't do this alone, right? We never do it alone. No leader ever does anything alone. We do it together. 
And it is, we're committed to paying these girls stipends. We're committed to growing the program. We had six times more girls apply this spring than we could accommodate. We're committed to growing the program. So there's a mentor opportunity. There is an apply opportunity and there is a donate opportunity. And there's also a contact us because I would love to hear people's idea and advice. I mean, that's how we grow together, right? So that's the other opportunity is to reach out and let us know your thoughts. Is there anything else you'd like us to know about democracy? I will just say, I don't think activism is an either or in terms of our electoral work and our long-term work. I think it is an and. And and is actually, the power of and is actually a resiliency skill we learn in democracy. Carl Jung said it was our greatest spiritual possession, the paradox, which is holding two things at the same time. So I urge everyone to immediately get involved in something you're passionate about in the 2024 elections. And then I urge you to titrate that work with the hope and joy that is working with democracy that is believing there is something different out there that isn't a cliff every two years, that isn't what we see. There's something fundamentally different that we can fight for, but we need to move the chess pieces now. We need to move the chess pieces now for that future. So I would say it's not an either or electoral or long-term, it is an and. And I would ask you to immediately get involved for 2024 and I would ask you to come and join with us in democracy because ours is a hopeful, optimistic space. And sometimes we need to titrate in and out. It's part of our own resiliency skill. Titrating is a trauma skill, right? We titrate in the really difficult work and then we titrate into something hopeful and joyful and we go back and forth. So that's what I would say. I would ask everyone to see it as an and and to do something they're passionate about in 2024 and and then come join us in democracy. What are the best ways that men or those who are male identifying can support democracy? So it's such a great question because of course we love our male allies, right? So our male allies are absolutely can be listed in the directory. Our male allies absolutely can be speakers. I happen to have an assembly member, Isaac Bryan, who I think is one of the greatest feminists of all time and has spoken at democracy. There are so many ways they can absolutely be mentors. They can absolutely send the applications and they can absolutely donate. I, I, there is no path forward. I keep saying this, but there's no path forward except together. And so we encourage and love when our male allies come support in all of those ways. Wonderful. What are some of the other causes you support? (gasps) Oh my gosh. What are the other causes I support? I mean, I will say voter registration. I deeply, passionately believe in empowering voters. I passionately believe that every time you add someone to the voter registration list, you've added not just a single voter, but potentially a voter for life. I think voter registration is one of the strongest ways to get involved. Um, I'm passionate about, I'm passionate about canvassing. I don't know if that's really a, cause so much as something I love doing. I think talking to other citizens and non-citizens about the fact that this is their community and their country and we need them both to vote and to volunteer. I will say I've done a lot of work 
registering voters outside courthouses. And you hear from a lot of people, you know, I can't vote. I've had the right to vote taken away. And I always say, first of all, uh, that's appalling and should never happen. Second of all, no one can take away that this is your country and community. And no one can take away your ability to volunteer. No one can take it away. You absolutely can fight for this and we need you. And can I sign you up right now for volunteer opportunities? So I'm passionate about enfranchisement and I'm passionate about understanding not only do we need to enfranchise our felons and make sure they are voters, we need to let them know while we are fighting for that process, which is a longer process, they can get involved right now and we need them. This is their community, this is their country, and I'm passionate about enfranchisement for everyone in this country. You just have so much. <laughs> it's so much to digest. <laughs> and we've reached the end of the show. And I was like, I have so many more questions for you. But I do want to thank you for sharing your advocacy and for starting Democracy. You talked about it a little bit, but I, regardless of whether it's this cause or something else that calls to a person, is there anything else you'd like to add to help inspire listeners to be active in their activism? I would like to say this, please understand that it's not on you alone. You are fighting on a giant team of millions of people who are standing alongside you and have your back. And um, it's a step up, step back model. So know that sometimes you step back and that's okay. You need to prioritize self-care. You need to take care of yourself. And then at other times, we need you to step up because other people need to step back. And when they do, we need to step up because we are on a team and we fight this together. And so know that, first of all, I think the hardest thing for me in the 2018 and 2020 elections was feeling there was simply not enough I could do. And I do have an autoimmune disease and I would work until I physically fell out of my chair. And my husband would come in and say, this doesn't seem sustainable. <laughs> you think? Um, and it was important for me to remember that as passionate as I am, as passionate, as passionate as I am, I am one of just millions and we all fight this together. And sometimes I step back and my teammates step up and sometimes they step back and I step up. So what I want to say, when you're getting involved in activism, it can feel overwhelming. You have to solve systemic racism. You have to solve it and you have to solve it. And then we burn out because, you know, so understanding, keep remembering, close your eyes and picture the millions of people who are side by side with you fighting this together. You are not alone. And then open your eyes and take one step forward. Well, thank you very much for sharing that. Thank you, audience, for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, comment, and subscribe. This has been Active Activism, part of the Femon Collective. Thank you, Tanya. <laughs>